This is the Beaver Tales podcast, which features some amazing charities around this country and abroad, including Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope is one of the major disaster relief organizations in the world. For example, at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, they launched a 10 million meals campaign to help feed those in need as a result of the crisis. They also have a variety of other initiatives as well as women's empowerment, children's feeding program, community events, and much more. If you want to learn more about the Crisis Relief Fund and everything Convoy of Hope does, find them at convoyofhope.org. Now here's the next episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Warden, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Hey everybody, this is the Beaver Tales podcast featuring former Oregon State student-athletes to learn what they've done since competing for the Beavers, the things they've learned in life, and their memories playing for OSU. Going back-to-back with gymnasts who are now coaching together at a school in the Midwest. Today, it's Brittany Harris. Brittany was a standout gymnast at Oregon State and now coaches at Lindenwood University in St. Charles, Missouri. If you listen to Monday's episode, you heard Jen Llewellyn, or formerly Jen Kessler, also a tremendous gymnast at Oregon State. Jen is now the head coach at Lindenwood, and Brittany is her assistant. So the two former Oregon State gymnasts now coach at the same program over in Missouri. Brittany did overlap for one season with Jen, so they competed together at Oregon State in 2011. Brittany's the younger of the two. Her freshman year was Jen's senior. Brittany, who's my guest today, was on the OSU squad that made NCAAs in 2011 and 2012. The team didn't make it in 2013 to NCAAs, but Brittany went to the NCAA championships herself that season, qualifying as an individual competitor in the all-around. She was also first-team All-Pac-12 in 2013. Her father, Stephen Harris, was a first-round pick in the 1985 NBA draft, playing five seasons in the league. Brittany did play some basketball growing up, but stuck with gymnastics and stayed there after college as a coach. She just finished her second year at Lindenwood, which is a D2 program. And while Brittany has been at Lindenwood, the team finished first in the conference standings both years so far. They won a national championship in her first season in 2019. Lindenwood is a D2 school and they compete in the USA Gymnastics Collegiate Championships. That includes programs all over, D1, D2, D3. They're smaller programs, generally, under seven and a half full scholarships. So in that subdivision, three national championships in the last five years. I had a really fun conversation with Brittany about her start in gymnastics and then coaching gymnasts who are only two years old. Uh, She now coaches gymnasts who are 10 times older than that, in a sense. But uh, really fun to hear about her path through gymnastics, what she's learned looking back on her career and some highlights as well. So here is Brittany Harris here on episode 40 of the Beaver Tales podcast. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, Brittany. You're moving all over the Midwest, Oklahoma to Missouri, back and forth, but uh, it's fun to chat with people all over the U.S. So thanks for joining me on the podcast this morning. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Let's start with the very beginning. I I went back and watched, you know, how Oregon State kind of does like the you know, introducing the freshman athletes and they still got it on the YouTube page. <laughs> I'm guessing it was, you know, 2010 when you, you come to, to OSU. And the funniest story was they probably asked like, you know, what's your first gymnastics memory? And you talked about playing other sports like soccer and basketball, but doing mm-hmm. basically doing gymnastics while you were playing the sport. Tell me about like how old you were and how you basically were a gymnast regardless of what sport you were playing. 
Okay, um, I got into gymnastics at age two. Um, mom could just see me like rolling around and doing all this stuff. So she thought, oh, you know, I wanted to learn to flip safely. So I took a couple classes. Um, and then I would, how our couch was positioned in our living room, I would like vault over my dad while he was sleeping. I'd freak out because I'd be flying over him and then I'd stick the landing. Um, so I was always a gymnast. They put me in classes. I loved it. But then, you know, my dad played professional basketball. So I tried basketball, but then did cartwheels down the court. So that didn't work. And then I did um, T-ball. Wasn't paying attention. That wasn't either. I'd do four rolls in the outfield. The ball would roll past me and I'd roll like the ball or something. <laughs> um, I'd tennis, swimming, track, golf. I volleyball, tried it all, but it was always gymnastics in my heart from the start. To start at two years old, man, I don't know what that looked like in terms of the the teaching or the coaching or what that would have been looked like in <laughs> retrospect. Like, have you ever thought about, man, I could coach two-year-olds? It, uh, coaching two-year-olds is kind of, it's more just like keeping their attention and like <laughs> learn to hop and roll. And it's more like building that coordination so that when they do progress in it, it makes the transition a lot easier. But they do learn how to like fall safely or like, you know, take different landings or if you get in a situation where you fall off your bed oh I can just roll instead uh kind of helps in that sense I think maybe coaching two-year-olds it would give you so much patience that every head coach should have to spend like three months coaching two-year-olds as like a training program oh yes it <laughs> takes a lot of patience one once you get like one two-year-old locked in then the other five run off and you're like okay it's gonna be fine <laughs> <laughs> So you try to like gather them all up, but it's fun because you see the little personalities come out and they're all having fun, but it is a lot of work and requires a lot of patience for sure. Yeah. So had you actually, I mean, I was at first just thinking about when you were a two-year-old and speaking hypothetically, but had you, have you actually coached some kids at that age? I have. Um, in 2016 to 2017, I coached um, at a place called Airborne Gymnastics in Tulsa. I moved home after I left Corvallis. Um, and I coached for a little bit and um, I coached level three and four and then the optional girls, but then if they needed class uh, classes filled, I would coach the classes. So that could range from two to five year olds. And I got a variety of all kinds of kids and it's a lot of laughing because that's all you really can do. Cause you know, they're little and they're young and they're just fun. So you just got to laugh along with them and you try your best to keep them engaged and make sure they have a good time. Yeah. So in terms of the, the youth gymnastics scene, which starts very early, as early as two years old, it, it's interesting to see, um, you know, how each athlete, where they excel and at what level, like Jen, for example, was, you know, won five national championships at the level 10 uh, arena, you know, and you, you had like the junior Olympic national team experience. Tell me how those kind of fit together um, I mean, I'm sure you went through the levels yourself, but how does it compare for, for Jen's yeah. experience? And you both had success, but in a slightly, at least different terminology, how does that work for both, both your careers, for example? Yeah. Um, so for my career, you know, I started early at age two and then I stuck with it and I was a level nine at age nine and then a level 10 at age 10. So by the time wow. I was 10, doing like, you know, the collegiate skills and the big girl skills that they call them. Um, so I did that for from 10 to 17, essentially. My first year uh, at regionals as a level 10, I did not make it because I gave it my best effort and that just wasn't my year. <laughs> <laughs> After that, I made it seven years in a row and each year 
I essentially progressed my ranking as I went on. And my senior year of high school, I ended up getting fourth in the nation. I made the uh, JO national team and I got to go train at the Olympic Training Center, which is really fun. Um, but yeah, it was, for me, it was harder at a time because I was the tall gymnast. You know, gymnastics was definitely, back then, you know, if you're a gymnast, you're short. And they looked at me and they're like, hey, you play basketball. Oh, no, no, no. You run track. Can't do that. Volleyball? Probably not. I do gymnastics. Oh, really? And I'm like, <laughs> and I got the, oh, you're tall for a I do know. Yep, that is true. Um, but I definitely just, you know, I, I, no matter what, I just worked hard through it. And to make it seven years in a row at the JO level, even looking back now, like it doesn't sound exciting. But then when I even look back, I'm like, wow, that was actually pretty cool. Knowing how hard it is to be in the top seven or top eight, essentially in each region that only get to go to the, the JO national championship. So for me to do that and looking back and any accomplishment that I did, I was pretty proud of myself for it. So it's funny that you got typecast as the tall gymnast because if correct me if I'm wrong but I think the OSU roster listed you at five seven which is I mean not that tall in general standards right yep no in the average world I I look normal you know (laughs) (laughs) so people are like oh you're a gymnast and I'm like yeah but then when I'm standing next to my best friend who was like four eleven and a half they're like oh she's a gymnast and you there's no way. And I'm like, well, there is a way, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely got, you know, stereotyped as you don't do gymnastics. You're too tall for it. So even now, being a coach, um, I love when I get to work with tall gymnasts. You know, it's like, no, tall people can do it, too. We will find a way. Don't give up. If I can do it, you can do it. So and I think that helps them hearing that, like, just because I'm tall doesn't mean it's I'm not capable of doing something. They can still do it. Uh, and then seeing them achieve their goals or something, even though they are tall, that makes me feel happy because I know what it's like to be a, no, you can't do that. You're too tall. And it's like, well, watch me. So that's yeah. fun. How well can you explain the difference between being, let's say a five foot seven gymnast versus your teammates who were, let's say five, three, five, four. Cause I can kind of understand, okay, the physics of the passes, the tumbles, the, the flips would be different just in terms of a physiological standpoint. So how, how different was it slash how different do you coach athletes when there's, let's say three or four inch difference in height, take, take me through how much of a difference does that make in gymnastics? Um, it can make, it can make a big difference. Um, for me, I feel like I was blessed to learn my skills when I was smaller. So I had time to grow into them as I was growing. So like I I could adjust it as I went on, but for, um, some athletes who may achieve the level 10 ranking later on, you know, in their high school career, once they've already peaked at their height, let's say, it's harder for them to maybe adjust because, you know, your body was shorter at one point and then all of a sudden you're tall and you're trying to do harder skills. Um, but that's like, if you have, if you're outside per se, and you have like a little stick and you throw the stick up in the air and it spins and twists and flips really fast, but then you take a branch and then you throw it with the same power, but it doesn't have that same speed. And that's kind of what it is being a taller gymnast. But when it comes to gymnastics and, you know, the code of points and all the skills, there's skills that can fit everybody, no matter what body type or height or whatever you are. There's always a way for you to 
start at the 10-0, just like everyone else, short, tall, small, whatever. Like, that's what I love about gymnastics. You can create a routine to uniquely fit each individual. And that's kind of what I did. But thankfully, it helped that I was a level 10 at such a young age that I could grow into my skills. Um, so the transition wasn't too bad for me. When you were growing uh, throughout the high school um, slate and you're you know, making junior Olympics and, and eventually planning on going to Oregon State, it was right before you came to OSU where you, you know, coming from Oklahoma, you received the Shannon Miller Award. That was 2010. Um, that's given to the top gymnast in the state of Oklahoma, named after the, the legend in Shannon Miller, who comes from Edmond, Oklahoma. She was she was the most decorated American gymnast of all time before someone named Simone Biles edged her out, barely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what was that like? And did you ever get to meet Shannon Miller, having received that award or just at least to get the award named after must have been a, a crazy experience? Yeah, um, I, to receive the Shannon Miller Award was incredible, you know, because there were a lot of great gyms in Oklahoma at the time and a lot of great and highly decorated level 10 gymnasts. So for them to see me as a decorate, like the most decorated gymnast um, in Oklahoma for the 2010 year, that was a huge honor. And I actually did meet Shannon Miller. Um, I met her at the Oklahoma City Airport. And I saw her and I was like, hey, Shannon, <laughs> can I take a picture of you? Uh, but she was really nice and really sweet. And she said, you know, congrats on winning the award. And it was, it was cool to win the award and then to meet the person who the award was named after was like, well, okay <laughs> but it was pretty exciting so it wasn't a planned meetup it was just hey I won your award can I walk up to you and say hi yep <laughs> she was she was super nice about it and we got to have a little chat uh but yeah it was really awesome so yeah speaking of Simone I saw this hilarious quote I think it was just yesterday where she was doing an interview and they asked Simone do you know how many medals you've won and she was like oh I'd have to Google it. I think it's like 25. And, and they're like, well, it's 30, actually. And she wasn't even aware. I mean, for her to, to see how she's brought the sport of gymnastics to, to represent, I mean, I don't know the percentage of how many African Americans are gymnasts, but just just her talent level and how I mean, she's got to be yeah. from what people describe. I mean, she's just already the best of all time, it seems. I mean, just just how much has she impacted the sport of gymnastics in your mind? I personally think Simone is just the goat like yeah. stuff that she does like to me she's just fearless and powerful and so always looking to innovate the sport she does stuff that there's no way people could even think of trying and she just goes for it and i love how you know confident she is in herself and how she speaks her mind and like i hands down simone is just absolutely amazing like she's she's changed the game for sure and I, I love that she, people, like young gymnasts can look up to her. All races really can just, hey, I just admire her work ethic and her talent and her skill and, you know, her personality. Like she's all around just a great human being to look up to and a role model. And I admire her for that. A quick interruption of this interview to let you know about a future project that I think you'll like if you're listening to this podcast. You may have noticed that I've gotten several baseball players from the 2018 Beaver Baseball Squad on this podcast. I've also gotten several interviews that I've not even released on this podcast that'll be exclusively for a future project. It'll be a multi-part series documenting that 2018 championship squad. This audio documentary will give you a behind-the-scenes look, including stories you may not have heard and recollections firsthand from some key moments right there in Omaha. 
Man, I, I got two strikes on me. I'm nervous. I catch a glimpse at Coach Casey in the dugout. He's screaming at me. He's telling me to stay through the baseball, stay through the baseball. I took a really, really deep breath, and I was able to get it down to one thought, and it was always, I'm a beast. I'm a beast. I would connect to my breath. I would find my focal point, and I'd said, I'm a beast. Stay through this pitch. And he threw the same exact pitch, and I caught full barrel on it. You'll hear stories like those and how they fit together through the 2018 postseason on this multi-part series documenting that 2018 Beaver baseball team. There will also be some documentaries narrating moments from other Beaver sports to come afterwards, but stay tuned for updates right here on the Beaver Tales podcast on a release date and other info. All right, back to the interview. Let's kind of come back to your career at Oregon State. You make NCAAs three times, twice as a team, and then individually as a junior, you made it just personally got to go by yourself as in, in all around. So in terms of your memories at OSU, whether it's the, the NCAA championships, a meet at OSU and Gill or practices, something away from gymnastics altogether, it, when you're talking with friends about Oregon State, what are the what are some of the stories that you tend to tell most often? They're the ones that kind of come up of oh you know this memory that thing I like to tell about. What what's the story that you you have found yourself telling multiple times? I feel like I have so many stories about Oregon State. Me going to Oregon State was the best decision of my life. I am so grateful, you know, that Michael and Tanya recruited me, and I wouldn't have traded it for anything in the world. I do find myself saying my freshman year when we won the Pac-10 championship, the back then Pac-10 championship for the first time in 15 years um, at UCLA. That was absolutely incredible because no one really saw us coming and we were just hitting our routines and sticking our landings. And then we look up and it's like, oh, Oregon State won. And like, that was absolutely unforgettable. Um, my other one would be ju my junior year when we hosted Pac-12s and you know, we started on beam at that meet and we had a fall on the first event, but we didn't let it shake us. And we just kept building out that energy and cheering each other on. And then we ended up winning the Pac-12 championship at home. So getting two rings in three years was absolutely incredible. Uh, and then my senior year, my dad, uh, who passed away of colon cancer, um, for pink out, we got to walk out together onto the floor. And that was absolutely unforgettable for me. So those are like my three moments that I always say about Oregon State and just everything in between the hard work the classes you know the coaches everything the team I just absolutely love everything about Oregon State yeah I, I appreciate you you bringing up your dad I mean first round pick in the NBA and it seemed like at least a little bit you know you'd want oh you know I want my daughter to be a basketball player but uh, how quick did he say all right you're a gymnast you can go do what you want did, did he end up really embracing that and how did that go Oh, uh, my dad definitely embraced whatever sport I did. He's just, as long as I was happy, he was happy. So it could have been underwater basket weaving and he would have been right there cheering me on. So when I told, you know, dad, I love gymnastics, he was like, well, I love it too. All right, let's go. Um, so that was nice to always have his support. And I didn't have to feel that pressure of following in his footsteps of being the basketball player or I could just be Brittany and do the sport that I love. And he was always in my corner. So that was awesome. When you yeah, finished at Oregon State, you did some coaching back over in the Midwest. And then you were a graduate assistant back in Corvallis, uh, 2017, 2018. This is, and then, you know, before you go back to the Midwest, go to Missouri. So in that time period at Oregon State, 
you got to learn from Tanya Chapla now as you're a coach and Michael for that matter, the whole staff, and you're help, helping choreograph floor routine, floor exercise. So it's, I'm sure it's a lot different to execute a floor routine at a high level like you did and making the NCAA championships versus designing a whole floor routine for someone else. So how did you learn to pick up that process? Any tools you used to choreograph to, to help the gymnast follow your ideas? How did you learn that whole process? Um, when it comes to choreography, you know, I learned a lot from Tanya Chaplin. Tanya is, she, like her dance styles are incredible. She can encompass whatever style works best for what athlete and it's always unique and creative to where you know if they can dance great if they're a little more stiff if you can't tell in their routine so that's you know i admire that aspect of it and i um i watch a lot of dancing videos <laughs> um i dance myself i love dancing i would always dance as a gymnast and so as a coach i'm always dancing on the sidelines so i just study a lot of you know, videos on YouTube or, you know, look for dance classes that I can take. Um, any way to find a style that could possibly help an athlete, you know, get the most success out of their routine. That's what I try to do. Would you usually let the gymnast pick their music? Do you suggest it? How does that work? Yeah. So when it comes to picking floor music, I have an idea of a few songs that I think that could work for them, but then I always encourage the athletes give me some songs. What songs do you like? Because at the end of the day, I want you to feel, you know, the excitement and the joy and the fun of doing the routine to music that you love. It's not fun to dance to something that you don't like. So I try to encourage them to find some music. And then I have some ideas and we try to collaborate our ideas to find a common ground to where I know it can score well, and then they're happy doing it. So that's how we try to find the music. Yeah. So I've been doing it lately. <laughs> so then do you take the music first and then kind of design the routine around that to fit the music or do you kind of already have some passes and skills in mind and then place the music over that when you've already kind of got a routine or what which one the chicken or the egg which one kind of starts first um so before the athletes go home for the summer we typically um talk about what skills you want to focus on over the summer so that when you come back the next year we already have a game plan you're ready to go so before they leave they kind of tell me what tumbling passes they want to work on and then once i know their passes and the format that they want to do the passes in that helps me find the music which helps me design how fast you know they want to tumble like do they want to start right away and then tumble back to back and then dance a little bit and then end with the last pass or first pass, a little bit of dancing, second, third. So just kind of, once you know what tumbling they want to do, it helps you kind of, okay, this is how I want the routine to go. And is this music too fast for what they're trying to do? Because you don't want the athlete to gas out, you know, while they're doing it. So it's just kind of like, it's a, it all kind of goes together. Like once I know the passes, then I find the rhythm of the music and then we do the choreography around it. Now let's talk about your transition to Lindenwood because you spent a couple of years at Oregon State, enjoyed it, and moved on to, to join 
another former Oregon State gymnast, and you overlapped with Jen Kessler then, now Jen mm-hmm. Llewellyn. Your, your freshman year was her senior, so you got to go to NCAAs together, one of the most successful years of the program, at least at the time, if not, if not ever. Um, and now you get to coach with her. So how did, you, how did you end up going out to Lindenwood to join Jen, and, and how did that go? What I can say was, I guess, kind of fate happened. You know, I just completed my, you know, grad year at Oregon State. And then I'm prepping for my second year at Oregon State. You know, like, all right, let's move back. You know, I was planning on being in Corvallis for like at least three-ish years before moving on. So to be there one year and then for Jen to kind of present me with the opportunity of like, hey, would you like to be an assistant coach here? And, you know, I prayed about it and it just kind of fell into place and it felt right. and it's great having, you know, um, my former teammate who's now one of my mentors and who can now, you know, she's willing to guide me and help me throughout the process. If I have any questions, she's always there to answer it. Um, so that, that was just really awesome just how it all unfolded because I didn't see that that would be the way that it would have worked out. And it just so happened that all the pieces kind of fell together. So that was really awesome. What's something that you've learned as a coach, you know, a couple since being out there Lindenwood a couple of years ago, whether it's from asking advice of Tanya and Michael, learning from Jen, just the experience of working hands-on with the Lindenwood athletes, you know, what, what's something where you've realized, oh, I can grow in this area, or this is a good way to do this. Uh, what, what's an area that you've grown in as a coach? The area that I've definitely grown in is patience. <laughs> Sometimes I'm very just like, I want results and I want it now, or like this needs to be done right now, this way. But now as a coach, it's like, no, I have to adapt to different athletes, you know, ways of learning and this, this and that. So it's kind of like, let me take a step back. Let me understand how, you know, what, what are they trying to get out of it or how can I best serve them? And that helps me like, okay, breathe. You're doing great. But like, I love, it's a fun challenge because I get to work with different people and, you know, I get to meet them where they are and help them get the best out of what they're doing. So definitely patience. Did it make you ever look back at when you were competing and realize, oh, Tanya probably needed to be patient with me when I was doing that or something? <laughs> um, yes, I actually, we had an athlete who just graduated and she's five foot seven too. Um, and she was just dramatic and loud and always a great time. I looked at her and I was like, that's probably what Tanya and Michael saw in me. I acted probably just like her. And I remember texting Michael and Tanya and be like, I am so sorry if I came across that way. <laughs> oh, because I love her. She's always a great time, never a dull moment. But sometimes, you know, she was a bit much. And I was like, I was probably a bit much. And I get it now. I understand Tanya. <laughs> so, but it was absolutely hilarious to look back and like see yourself in the athletes that you coach now. And it's like, oh, everything will be okay, I promise. Um, yeah. I understand where they're coming from in the moment. It's just like the biggest thing in the world. And, but I'm like, it's nope, it's good. If I, <laughs> you're gonna make it too. We're gonna get through this. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see how, yeah, someone who's really bubbly, exuberant, a bit much, it could require some toning down. Like, all right, let's <laughs> chip away at that. But at the same time, I almost wonder, and you, you would know this better, if you would rather have that versus someone who's just so in a shell, not really willing to get outside of themselves and you have to take them out of it. I mean, either one could work and I'm sure you've had experience in both, but I mm-hmm. almost wonder if it's, if it's better to start high and kind of 
chip away at it or start low or maybe either? I, I don't know what you've probably had both. What do you think? Yeah, um, I would say it's great to have a balance of people because if you have a bunch of high energy people, then sometimes it's just like, whoa, <laughs> everyone needs to take a breather. But then if you have a bunch of like, you know, more introverted people, it's kind of like, come on, everybody, let's build the energy. But if you have a, co a collaboration of highs and lows, they can kind of balance each other out. And then they form those friendships and those bonds to where like, they kind of pull each other up together without you know, us as a staff having to do so much of it. Like it comes from within and then, you know, it brings the introverts out and the extroverts can calm them down if they need be. So it all tends to work. It works out if we have a group effort of emotions and energies for sure. Yeah. To kind of wrap it up, I, I like to often close with the topic of what it was like to kind of re-establish uh, yourself or reevaluate yourself as a person when gymnastics or whatever athletic competition people are involved in comes to an end where you're Brittany Harris, the gymnast, and then you become Brittany Harris, the I'm trying to graduate college and maybe get into coaching, but who knows what the future holds for the next 60 years of my life, you know, that whole thing. So mm -hmm. what's something that you learned about yourself, what you find important in life, how, what you want to accomplish? I mean, I know that's a really broad topic, but I want to allow you to take it wherever you want. I mean, what, what, what did you go through in that transition from, okay, athletics isn't my identity, who I am as a person now. So then what? Yeah. Um, I feel for me, I mean, the transition, even now being six years out, I guess is still weird because internally I'm like, I could easily do a double back right now, but then <laughs> I you know, I could win the meet, I could get, you know, whatever. But like for me, because I was done with gymnastics, but then I was still involved with it and I knew I wanted to coach, but then I was still a part of the team. I feel like that helped my transition because I didn't feel like I went from being the athlete to just going straight to a job or to being just regular Brittany, I was still involved with, you know, Beaver Nation and I still got to feel the excitement of being like the alum who's helping out. And I, I was still a part of Beaver Nation for two years after. Um, so that kind of helped me transition out of being in the spotlight to being, you know, kind of on the side. And then I went home for a year and then, you know, coming back to Oregon State was amazing, but it was, I would, I would just say, you know, follow your heart. And just because you get your degree in one thing doesn't mean that's what you have to do the rest of your life and keep your options open, you know, just don't limit yourself to just only doing one thing. If you want to try a bunch of things, go ahead and try it. You have one life and just live it, love it and have fun while doing it. And you'll find your niche, whatever that may be when the time is right. Yeah. It, it seems like you got an awesome situation there with Jen and, and her husband, Cody, and the whole staff at Lindenwood and, and having fun staying in gymnastics and learning a lot. So thanks so much for sharing oh, yes. your whole career arc and everything you're learning and best of luck for you in the, the decades more of coaching all those youngsters, high energy or low energy. So thanks for joining <laughs> me on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me and you know, stay safe. Appreciate it. Really entertaining conversation with Brittany Harris. So fun to hear what it's like for players to become coaches or competitors to become mentors, gymnasts to then be on the other side, whatever sport it is. And for her to say, man, I, lead, I needed to learn patience. And then it made me realize, wow, I probably tested the patience of some of my coaches or I now realize what it was like. I've heard that similar sentiment a few times. And I think that could be the same for 
teachers who realize what they were like as students or parents who realize what they were like as kids. That tends to be the case as we grow older and look back at our former selves and say, oh, now I get it. And uh, coaches sometimes learn that very quickly, especially if they get right into coaching out of college. So really fun to hear from Brittany Harris and to hear both Lindenwood coaches the last couple of episodes. If you haven't heard Jen Llewellyn, that was the previous podcast. She's the head coach. And Brittany being the assistant coach was fun to see how Oregon State has established uh, a sister school of sorts over at Lindenwood in Missouri. We're not done with gymnastics episodes or all sports. We'll hit football, baseball, all across the board. Trying to hit pretty much every sport uh, fairly often here on the Beaver Tales podcast. Also, go check out the Beaver Tales documentaries. Those are in progress. They'll come out a few months from now, but if you want to receive updates on them, would really help me out. I'm just trying to promote this concept and this project. And so just to sign up for for emails would be a huge help to me. It would mean a lot. Again, they'll totally be free, uh, no payment or anything. They'll be real accessible, but would mean a lot to me if you clicked on the link in this episode's description. So just go in there, click that link, throw your email in there, and uh, check out the Beaver Tales documentaries when those come out, and keep on listening to episodes of this podcast as well. Hope you enjoyed these compelling conversations. Stay tuned to the podcast. Let me know if you have any thoughts. I'm on Twitter, at Bright Ties. The word bright, the word ties, at Bright Ties. I'm Josh Warden, your host on the Beaver Tales podcast. Until next time, to one and all, good night, and go Beavs.